Delivering high-quality, technology-centric podcasts around the world. This is MunchTech.TV. Taking a bite out of technology. Hello, welcome to episode 510 of the Two Tackies for Saturday, June 27th, 2020. This is the show where we talk about the week's most notable technology stories in around an hour or less with Aaron Fisher and myself, Jimmy Bunting. Come together once a week to discuss, debate, converse, scrutinise and explore the world of tech. This week, join us as we take a detailed look at Apple's announcements at this year's WWDC. taking the time to join us on episode 510 if it is the first time of doing so of tuning in joining us on the show if you're not aware this is a technology podcast devoted to the week's most notable technology stories or what we feel are the most notable sometimes that's an opinion rather than fact what can't be an opinion i don't think this week is the most notable thing on the board is wwdc 2020 which was held remotely for the first time ever in apple's history and there's quite a lot from it actually quite a lot of significant integral changes, I guess we'll say. So as a result, we, we spoke about last week what we thought was going to happen, and this week we'll talk about what did actually happen. Some weeks on the show we have a really diversified list of news and we're able to sort of go from one company to another and to another topic and so on. And other weeks it, it really is just a monopoly in terms of what we're talking about. This week's one of those weeks. It's going to be Apple-centric in a lot of ways due to, of course, WWDC taking the limelight. And funnily enough, ironically enough, through the whole COVID situation and, and, and through the last month, two months, three months, tech news has kind of came in peaks and troughs. And there has been enough to talk about because technology is playing a vital role during this pandemic. But what we find is some weeks have been quieter than others. And some weeks there just really has not been that much to talk about. This week, of course, WWDC, which took the limelight, it would have just been fine if that was the only thing that happened. But it wasn't. So much more did happen and there was so much more to talk about and we really struggled because we thought, well, we, we can't do this justice to other news by talking about WWDC and then just really quickly greasing over everything else. So what we'll do, we'll take the rest of the news and leave it for next week. It's not really time sensitive as such and it is quite interesting. So next week's show is pretty much planned before we've even recorded this week's. Seemingly, right, Aaron? Quick. No one in the tech world do anything major in the next seven days. <laughs> yeah, please. Please. That's irony. That's Sod's law. I, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised in some ways and then disappointed in others because through the announcements, Apple have made obviously revelations and some sit and work for me and some other ones don't. But all in all, I think it, 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 WWDC as a whole was a continuation of Apple becoming more transparent and open, which they have been for the last five, six years. In comparison to when we started this show, their approach was quite different with new releases, with events, with announcements. I think that's a welcome change. Yeah, I was... Um, obviously, I, I guess they were a little bit strong-armed into being a bit more interactive this year, just with it not 
being in person. Um, obviously, from an outsider's point of view, we've always looked at, at, at Dub Dub as Apple. I think Marquez Brownlee put it pretty well. You, you know, Apple will put out a release or have a keynote or whatever it is, and then it's like radio silence. Mm. Um, you're just left your own devices. Now, I don't know if that's, that's the way it is if you're actually at the event. Um, it may be different, obviously, with Apple engineers and, and executives walking around. It, it may be a different story, but from our point of view, this year, it seems like they're interacting more, they're listening to feedback more, um, whether that's because that's the way they've always done it and we're just kind of seeing that for the first time, I don't know. But um, it's weird in the... In the I, I know we talk about Apple have this like, you know, there's, there's, there's Steve Jobs era and then there's the post Steve Jobs era. It's kind of how we define the different uh, eras of Apple. And in, in, in the post Jobs Apple, um, I think we've commented on it several times about uh, they seem to be more open. They're willing to, um, you know, executives are willing to, to, to go and talk to the tech community or podcasters or YouTubers or whomever it is. Um, you just look at, I think John Gruber has had access to like Craig Federighi and, and co, um, whether it be Phil Schiller or someone else, kind of each year for like the past five years. Um, normally at the, at the uh, conference itself, but this year remotely. Uh, it's worth a watch. Um, he, it's the talk show. He, he did it again this year. Um, it's worth a watch. The, the questions are pretty kind of softball. Um, I don't think we learned a whole lot out of that one that we probably didn't already gather ourselves from the keynote. I mean, to be fair to John Gruber, he, you know, he's an excellent journalist or writer or, or whatever you want to call him. Um, traditionally, I just, you don't want to burn your bridges when you get that kind of access. So you, uh, you're not going to go and asking any hard hitting questions, which for us is like, we have to understand that, but it is also kind of annoying. Um, but he's not going to put Craig on the spot and be like, why does the MacBook keyboard suck? Or something like that. No, and I, I think that's evident in that in, in recent, well, I say recent, I think more 2011, 2012, I recall a number of journalists who were previously invited to WWDC were not as a result of some overzealous reporting at the time from the event. Rings a bell. Yeah. Apple have been known to be a bit, I mean, I would just call that petty, to be honest. It's, it's definitely a, a downside to them. Um, mm. You get the impression that Apple, they like to have this, maybe it's different now, but traditionally they like to have this inner circle of journalists. And not to knock any of these journalists, because a lot of them have gone on to, did do you know, great things at the time. Um, but you could always kind of tell who was being an Apple, what do you call it? Um, they were almost hasn't. right. They were almost writing on behalf of Apple. Yeah. The yeah, stories are written like for them or by them almost, um, as opposed to about them. People weren't that critical because if you were critical, as you say, you mysteriously didn't get invited to the next event. And being invited to an Apple event um, was, it was, still is, I guess, a, a pretty major credential um, for any tech news or just news in general nowadays. Um, outlet. So yeah, it's been a little bit interesting. I, I, you know, I if anyone has a chance, go watch uh, MKBHD. Kind of did a breakdown or like a smaller clip on his YouTube channel, but um, on his Waveform podcast, he did the full length um episode. 
well worth watching. He he talked to uh, to Craig uh, Federighi directly. He asked a, a few more of the hard hitting questions. Um, I think John Gruber kind of did his like the morning after the event, so uh, he might not have had time to actually come up with after questions. But um, MKBHD had a few days, I think, and um, asked some genuinely interesting questions, which I'm I'm sure we'll get onto. But uh, yeah, his video is well worth watching. We'll go to WWDC shortly. Before that, we'll go to the quick news. Mobile Network O2 has been sending some of its former customers refunds 15 years after their contract ended. Several people posted on Twitter that they have received a letter and a check from parent company Telefonica stating that you've got a refund. Some were rightfully suspicious the letter was sent by cyber fraudsters, but O2 have confirmed that it had indeed sent checks to a group of people who were overcharged more than 10 years ago. This also comes with interest added on top. We identified a billing issue which meant some customers were charged twice on their final bill before leaving O2. We have been contacting those affected to apologize and send their refund, the company said in a statement. One customer said they had been offered a refund of £127, whilst another, a measly £2. Microsoft is giving up on physical retail, or so it seems, today, this week. The company announced plans to permanently close all Microsoft Store locations in the United States and around the world, except for four locations that will be, quote, reimagined as experience centers that no longer sell products. Those locations are New York City, London, Sydney, and the Redmond campus location too. The London store only just opened about a year ago. All other Microsoft store locations across the US and globally will be closing, and the company will concentrate on digital retail moving forward. Microsoft says Microsoft.com and the Xbox and Windows storefronts reach up to 1.2 billion monthly customers in 190 markets. UK adults spent a quarter of their waking day online during lockdown, which is a record high, according to Ofcom. During April, adults spent an average of four hours a day online, up from three and a half in September of last year, the communications watchdog said. And seven in ten people made video calls at least once a week during lockdown, with millions turning to Zoom for the first time. The pandemic has radically changed online behavior, said Ofcom. The regulator's online nation report found that people are seeking new ways to keep connected, informed and entertained as well as fit during lockdown. Take example Twitch, the live streaming platform for gamers. It saw visitors increase from 2.3 million back in January to a whole whopping 4.2 million in April. And finally, Olympus, once one of the world's biggest camera brands, is selling off that part of its business after 84 years. The firm said that despite its best efforts, the, quote, extremely severe digital camera market was no longer profitable. The arrival of smartphones, which had shrunk the market for separate cameras, was one major factor, it said. It had recorded losses for the last three years, and the Japanese company made its first camera way back in 1936, after years of microscope manufacture. Fifteen years refund. Rightfully so. Those who received them kind of thought, is this a scam? Is it? Is it not? And Telefonica, the parent company of O2, 
came out and said, no, it's not. We're, we're issuing refunds. Fair enough. I, I mean, obviously, it should have never happened in the first place, but no one really seemed to notice. Obviously, it came to light and the company did the right thing. Kind of shows you how many people don't check their bill. Um, mm. Maybe it was different 15 years ago. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the no- normal thing is when you cancel anything is just double check that last payment and then double check the month after to make sure nothing comes out again. But pretty cool. Something I too. I would say they didn't have to do. I'm pretty sure if they know about it, they do have to do something about it. But um, they could have easily just kept quiet and uh, and hope nobody noticed because it's almost two decades on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty neat thing. Something that comes as no surprise to me anyway. And I say that not as... <laughs> I favor Apple, but I also really appreciate Microsoft for their contributions and what they do for personal computing and, and, and not just tarp computers or laptops technology in general but at the same time they have a different a different business approach a different business plan to apple for numerous reasons and when they opened their physical stores in the first place i just never felt that they were going to lift off in the way that they would probably hope and that's because they don't have full control over the hardware they don't have full control over the products that use their software and by that i mean most of their products rely on third party hardware and and so it becomes a lot more difficult to get tangible products in a physical location to represent the brand and what they want to emanate whereas apple control the hardware the software and the physical retail environment as well so whilst it would have been nice in a fairy tale story for microsoft to have these stores and for them to take off they just didn't because it doesn't match microsoft's ethos and brand and it doesn't mean Microsoft are facing issues. I think it just means they were losing money in in a way in which they were never going to make money. Fair play, they they tried it out, they give it a shot, and I think they realized. What is interesting though is they're keeping four open, and I think again that's that's more of a brand presence rather than to try and create a profit. But I think that that's the right thing to do. Experience centers, whatever way or shape or form that will take, will be interesting to see. But no surprise. And again, it's not in my eyes anyway. You may disagree, Aaron. It's not indicative of them failing or that they they didn't do it right. I just don't feel it was it was a Microsoft thing. And I get they probably felt they had to try and have that presence because of Apple, but clearly they're doing something right. Up to 1.2 billion monthly customers in 190 markets across Microsoft.com, the Xbox, and Windows storefronts. Um I think I tend to agree. Um I don't really think, uh, especially in recent years with, with several of the refits, I don't think Microsoft kind of pinned the, the the physical store as a kind of direct competitor to Apple. I don't think they've ever tried to be that. Yeah. I think Microsoft and even Apple, they're long past the days of fighting with each other. Um, Windows has such a you know crazy high um, percentage of the market compared with, with the Mac anyway. I just completely unnecessary. Uh, and Microsoft don't really fight in the mobile space, so they just kind of have different turf wars now. Um, you're right, though. Microsoft not really having any hardware aside from the Xbox and any kind of funky whatever they come up with this year hardware that you know things like the Hololens and whatnot. Um, other than that, they didn't really have a whole lot to show off, especially not something that I I think or I assume Microsoft only have one store in the UK. Not aware of any others. Um, I don't think people are going to be traveling to London when you could just go to PC World. <laughs> um, 
the wonderful nature of PC World that we have nothing but good things to say about. <laughs> um, imagine going to Best Buy but being hounded by a swarm of bees every three seconds. <laughs> um, but I think it would be really interesting to go to one now to, well, when they reopen to see this whole reimagined store. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd be really interested to know. I don't know if Microsoft actually still is the HoloLens still a thing? I'm not really sure where, where we got to with that. Um, but I assume it will be concepts and tech, you know, tech demos and things like that, as opposed to here's HP's latest laptop, here's Lenovo's latest laptop. That, like I say, you could just go to Amazon or, or any other big box tech store. HoloLens is still available. It's HoloLens 2 now, and I'm, I'm nearly sure around October, November time it became available last year. So. Yeah, it's very much still a thing. Not sure if it's taken off, quote, as to what they would want, but it's still cool, it's still technology, and they're still in that that field. Unsurprisingly, the UK's internet use surged to new highs during lockdown, and I'm sure neighbouring countries and those across the pond as well had the exact same figures and experience. To be completely expected, number one, people are working from home for a start, people are educating themselves from home, people are entertaining themselves from home, and I would say most, if not nearly all of that, will revolve around an internet connectivity. This story definitely comes as when you average read the headline, it's well, spent, no duh. <laughs> average adults spent four hours a day online, up from three and a half in September 2019. So not, maybe not significant in terms of the average figure, but the, the ranges are probably greater now. What this probably has done is show that we are extremely over-reliant on the technology that we use. And it's something that we've spoken about before. It's something we're aware of, but we probably couldn't do without it now because we take it for so much for granted that, that it's just there. And that's an interesting take on it. And finally, very, very, very sad news, actually. But I guess in terms of business sense, it makes sense. Olympus, after 84 years, will will be selling off the part of their business which which manufactured and sold cameras. And they were an iconic brand, but unfortunately, clearly, as they say, one which is no longer profitable. And that makes sense. I think, I think it's actually turned 180 in a way because, well, maybe actually 360, because back when smartphones took over a physical digital camera, okay, the argument was made we don't need digital cameras anymore, but then there was optical zoom, which smartphones do not have because they are restricted by their size and by the, the physical motion and movement of the the lens. So that's one thing a, a digital camera has up on a smartphone. However, I think that's a trade-off, but there is still a market for digital cameras. And I think it has plateaued and it has reached that point at which it certainly isn't anywhere near what it was because your average person who just wants to take normal photos can take stunning pictures with their smartphone. But you will have the next person up from that who, who wants to have a zoom, who wants to have deeper colours, deeper contrast, and will go for a, a digital camera. So the market still exists. And especially now with people creating their own content, vloggers and people documenting things on YouTube and online and creating their own media, they want something a bit more powerful than a smartphone, but less in terms of size and po- possibly price to a DSLR. So they're going for that market. And the likes of Sony and Canon, I think, are the main contenders at the minute who are actually exploiting that market. Olympus maybe didn't or didn't want to, 
and they've uh, given it up. I, I don't think this will stagnate any innovation in the industry in that market and in, in, in the the camera market. There really there isn't so much. There is only so much you can do in that market now, right, Aaron? Yeah. Um, I I think as well, just to kind of add to your point of the people who want more than a smartphone market is a huge market, but I think. That is then taken up by Nikon, Sony, Canon, like all, I guess, that we've considered the uh, the big guys. I, I, I don't know what you call it. Um, I don't think Olympus has been, whilst great cameras, and I think we've had a few in recent years as well. Um, I just don't think they've been on a lot of people's radars. No, but they were an icon- iconic brand and one that, sad to see go, but I guess with the condensation... Um, or sorry, contention of the, the the market made sense that the big players couldn't all sit at one. There there had to be a contender, and I I think we had this discussion just the other day actually before this post even came to light for us that I think Sony, Canon and Sony. I'm I'm not sure. You you have the feeling that Sony are are leading the way at the minute, which is fair enough. I would probably tend to agree, but Canon have a good presence as well in that market. Um, Canon have been struggling a bit with a lot of um creators i think over recent years like it used to be if you wanted a youtube channel um you had a canon t2i um yeah. you know or 550d or whatever it was and that was the, the camera to have the dslr but really in recent years even for stills photography um things like the sony the a7s um in the past few years things like the a6300 and whatnot sony have just come out with a new vlogging camera um just these past few weeks i think yeah um i think sony have really kind of hooked into what a lot of people want and they create genuinely good stuff um canon i don't see that many creators using canon stuff anymore i think if it's like you know if you're a professional photographer you know like for magazine shoots and whatnot then i think canon's high-end gear or nikon's high-end gear is like the bee's knees it is the best to have um, but I think for that kind of mere mortals um, price range, I think Sony kind of have the uh, the upper leg on everyone at the moment. Absolutely. WWDC 2020, a lot happened. Uh, we saw a lot in terms of structural and behind the scenes work, in my opinion, from Apple. And that's, some of it was expected, some not. So uh, it kicked off the 22nd of June, ended on Friday, yesterday the, the 26th. and. Last week, we, we made a few predictions. We made a few sort of, dis- we discussed a few things that we thought we would see. Some happened, some didn't. And some other things happened, which we didn't expect. So it was the 31st Worldwide Developers Conference in the first digital-only event with no physical gathering planned due to the obvious ongoing global health crisis. The virtual event kicked off on the 22nd of June. It was free for everyone to watch. Online event allowed millions of developers to get access to future versions of iOS, iPadOS, macOS, watchOS, and tvOS, as well as engage with Apple engineers through engineering sessions, one-on-one lab appointments, and revamped Apple developer forums. Now, you hear my word, or the choice of words there, iOS and iPadOS, and that's because they didn't actually change it to iPhoneOS as we had potentially thought they may due to speculation. Not sure if that's going to happen eventually or not, whether it was just a, a dumbfounded rumor. So the event was streamed directly from Apple Park. It's available on Apple.com to view. And I think the first thing 
the first big thing was iOS 14 that they went on to. So there was the introduction of iOS and iPad OS 14. macOS Big Sur, which is finally macOS version 11. It was watchOS 7 and tvOS 14, as well as a few other software updates like improvements to the AirPods and AirPod Pros, in addition um, to, to everything else. So iOS 14, quite quite significant in a UX point of view for me, in that widgets are now there. We and got widgets! <laughs> after... <laughs> How many years? 13, 14 years. 13 and years. And I think every Android user is going, you didn't have widgets? Now, there's a mixed opinion on this. I have heard even general users say, I don't want widgets. That's Android. And I've also heard people say, thank goodness for that. So there's, there's two sides to every story. And clearly in this case, it's, it's down, there's a divide. I, I think they're welcomed. Do you, Aaron? Yeah. I mean, I... Um... I will admit, I've obviously put iOS 14 beta on everything I can, because this is what I do. Um, I put it on my old iPhone 7 Plus, and oh boy, do I love the widgets. Um, they've got the really cool one. You, you can, they showed, one thing, they showed off a, uh, a clock widget in the screen, uh, screenshots on the, on the slides that they did, but I can't find that one anywhere, um, which would be super cool. But, um... You got all your basic uh, weather, calendar, uh, music, podcasts, all, all kind of stuff like that. Um, but they have this smart widget. I forget exactly what they call it, but it's um, a widget that will change what it displays kind of through the day. So if you pick your phone up in the morning, it might show you the news or the weather or your calendar. Um, you know, much like uh, things like Siri suggestions change kind of throughout the day based on yeah, where, where you, you are, are or what time yeah. of day it is. Um, that's something that's super useful. You, you can flick through it as well. So you can just okay. slide on it. The one thing I would say about widgets is we all got really excited because finally widgets are coming to iOS. Um, but kind of watching more of the um, sessions through the week, and I think they mentioned it in the State of the Union after as well, they kind of like tone back widgets slightly. Um, Apple have this clear intention the widgets on ios are a information display only um whereas i think in reality that's really cool but what we all want is to be able to have micro interactions with these apps without having to launch the app um and i think from what or it sounds like what apple want is it will your widget if it's for a third-party app, let's say, uh, take a to-do list, for example. Let's say it shows your, you know, your top three to-do items that you've got to do today. What we would want is to be able to tap that and check them off there without having to open the app and, and then check them off. Whereas I think what Apple want is it's just information displayed that you would then tap, open your to-do app. Um, I don't know if the interaction would complete or you'd have to interact again. You say you'd have to check the item off. I don't exactly know how that works but yeah it was kind of like hooray oh like it was so close to get mm. so far <laughs> dead horse yeah i think I, but, but apple are, are famous for doing that in that they will release a much awaited and anticipated feature but they will only release it in a mild form and the reason for that is ios 15 they'll extend the functionality they're they're trying to pace themselves so they don't run out of ideas and options which let's face it is becoming more and more prevalent and problematic 
as iOS and every mobile software operating system and platform develops. <laughs> they run out of things to do because there only is so much you can do before you actually don't have anything to improve apart from the interf- infrastructure, in which case that doesn't make for an interesting keynote. So they have to balance the proportions right. They have to get enough right on the back end for the engineers and the developers and, and for the actual hardware that's running it. But at the same time, they have to release a little bit or enough to keep people interested or enough to make it different, but not enough to, to mean that they run out of ideas for future iterations. I think. I, I mean, could be wrong on that. Maybe they just want that closed infrastructure again. They don't want to mirror or replicate the full functionality, which you would get on an Android or, dare I say, Windows phone. I mean, iOS 14 kind of, it really did feel like a a little bit of release where um, the things we've wanted for all these years kind of finally came true. You know, like another yeah. big one was Siri doesn't take up the full screen anymore, um, which is great. Um, that applies to the iPad as well. And another big thing, that they didn't talk about when they talked about the iPhone. We had to wait until the iPad, and then they were like, oh yeah, this also does this on the iPhone as well, is incoming calls no longer take up your entire screen. So they'll come in like a little notification at the top instead of blocking everything you were doing. Um, Because no one actually wants to hit the decline button, because that just seems rude. Everyone just wants to ignore it. Um, So you have to wait and wait (laughs) and wait and wait. And then go back to what you were doing. Um, again, we're is British. That why you never don't want to hit calls. decline. Is that is that is that the reason? <laughs> well, exactly. I, I'm British. I don't want to. I don't want to decline it because that will cause <laughs> confrontation. <laughs> but mm. like you know, widgets, um, non-full screen phone calls, non-full screen um, Siri, kind of all things we've probably been been asking for for like ten years. Mm. Um, they're finally doing another another thing that they kind of slid in there is emoji search. Um, you can finally search emoji. I know I've complained about it in the past. Um, it's such a first world problem, but I've complained about it in the past, uh, like having to scroll through like tens of pages of emoji just to find, you know, the specific one yeah. you're looking for, yeah. but you can never remember where it is. Yeah. Um, you can, they now have a text search field, but the, I know people in the past have always been like, because um, if you type, so if you type the word car, It'll highlight orange, and then you can tap that, and it will replace it with an emoji. And people are like, yeah, that's how you do search. It's like, no, 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 just no. Um, so we finally get search on that. Oh, another big thing, just to go back to the point I was making before. You can now set default email and web browser apps. 13 years in the making but you can now finally do it. So if you don't want to use Apple Mail or if you don't want to use Safari, which many people don't, you can now set a default mail client and a default browser client. Now, that doesn't extend to anything else. Yeah, which I just wanted to say. I know MKBHD kind of asked Craig about, it's like, why can't you set a default Maps app or why can't you, you set a default calendar app or whatever? Like, why not go further? And I think probably to go to your point that that might be an ios 15 thing i saw people bring up that because if you watch the keynote they never they never talked about that at all they got demoted to a slide at the end where they show all the features and then they move on two seconds later Um, and then if you go to the ios 14 page on apple's website it's like buried right at the bottom in the extras list um i saw a few people mention that this kind of seems like it was added just so they could kind of slow down the deluge of anti-competitive lawsuits that are getting thrown at them at the moment. Mm. Um, makes sense if you go, but people can change their web browser. 
um, it looks good in it's, court. It's worth noting the the web browser must be an approved one from Apple, so it, it's not just any web browser either. It has to be one that Apple has said, yeah, that's okay, we would, we would happily. And the reasoning for that is that any app could potentially open a, a web interface within the, the app itself and say, I can be your default web browser and they don't want that they don't want to it could potentially ruin the experience so they must be in some way approved by apple for being a a default app but i'm guessing any browser within the app store that does that function and does it properly and well will be approved for such apple always want a little bit of of control over it they want to keep it in-house and they want it closed as much as possible the only other thing i'd say to that is i think that's great um i like that yeah I, i i don't disagree i do like that but just for consumers, it's like, don't expect if you change to Firefox or Chrome to have like the world's most different browsing experience because all web-based things on Apple are required to use UI, uh, UI WebKit or UI Safari View, whatever it's called, yeah. um, which means Chrome uses Safari to render its pages. Firefox uses Safari to render its pages. Um, any in-app browser in any of your apps uses Safari, like, you're not going to get Chrome's rendering engine or Firefox's rendering engine. You're basically just going to get the Chrome and Firefox wrapper, mm. which is great because if you're a Chrome or Firefox user on, on other systems, whether it be on Android or on your Mac or Windows or whatever, um, having a default or setting Chrome as your default on iOS, whilst it is still Safari underneath, at least you'll have your bookmarks and history and stuff like that with you. Yeah. Um, which is great. Um, but yeah, web developers don't have to freak out that suddenly there's going to be like six versions of web browsers to support because they are actually all the same underneath. As far as I'm aware, that was definitely the case uh, up until a few years ago. I assume it is very much still the same. Um, otherwise, browsers are running riot, I think. iOS 14 also brings in iMessage, pinned conversations, mentions, inline replies, and more. And that really brings iMessage in line, no pun intended, with other messaging apps out there at the minute that are used by cross-platform users, WhatsApp, Messenger, etc., etc. Third-party mail and browser apps have said that default, and iOS 14 tidbits and hidden features such as privacy updates, the emoji picture picker, which you've t- talked about, Aaron, and the new dark sky weather forecasts, which is quite interesting because Apple bought dark sky over and we wondered how how they were going to work with it. So the weather app provides info on severe weather events as well as upcoming shifts in weather. In the US, there's also a chart with a minute-by-minute forecast of precipitation intensity, which appears to be taking advantage of functionality in Dark Sky, which, as I just said, they recently purchased. See, that I don't understand. Why has the minute-by-minute been moved to US only? Because that is something many... Like, we have that. Mm-hmm. That is something many countries have. Now, I appreciate the Dark Sky app will still be available on iOS. I mean, I don't believe that's going any, anywhere anytime soon, but yeah. that just, maybe it's because they ran out of time. So, so just, to, just to add to that, sorry, just because you've, you've just brought something to my head. I read an interesting article through the week about why, Federighi was asked, why is there no calculator app on the iPad? Why is there no weather app on the iPad? And back when the iPad came out, Jobs basically said, well, we can't do it well, so we're not going to do it at all. We're not just going to maximize the view of an iPhone calculator and stick it in the iPad and hope for the best. That's not Apple. And Federighi said they just haven't gotten around to doing it in a better way. And and I guess, I mean, it doesn't 
justify this because it's a different point altogether, but you would have thought they either did it across all the locations or none because they would either, if it was following that thought process, why haven't you done X and integrate it into this platform or your product? Well, if they can do it well in the US weather, there's no difference. It's just the data that's different and you know, the location. So interesting enough, but it's interesting that that's why they haven't done certain things or integrated certain things within their platforms that you would think would be very easy to do. But in this case, they already have integrated that technology within their own default app. So yeah, it's very strange and not quite logical. I did uh, I did chuckle when Craig said anyone could build a calculator app or a calculator's app is really simple. I could just I could just hear James Thompson who makes uh, the wonderful PCALC app on iOS like cringe just through I mean, he's not wrong. A, a, a simple calculator app is simple, but it's just like there are so many complex or, you know, well thought out, much better than the default calculator apps on iOS that it was just like, no, why would you say that? Mm. But um, I don't get it either. That his, like, his answer to that just seemed weird. Like, he didn't really say, we haven't got around to it yet. He didn't really say, we don't want to do it. He just sort of went, eh. Like, they just didn't, there was just a non-answer as to why there's no weather app on the iPad. Um, bearing in mind, like, what is it with Apple and not shipping completely obvious utilities with new OSs? It's, it's like, the, I think up until tvOS 14, there was no home app. You know, up until watchOS 6, there was no calculator app. It's like, Casio made a calculator watch in the blimmin' 80s. Why did Apple not ship a calculator with with the Series Zero or WatchOS One? Just blows my mind slightly. Like this, Apple have a bit of a history of just mm. questionable decisions. But it's like, why? <laughs> if a calculator app is so easy, then why have you not done it? Um, maybe on the iPad, maybe you didn't have to make a weather app or a calculator app. But why not make a widget? Um, you've just touted this great widgets interface, bearing in mind, technically, both iOS and iPadOS have had widgets in the Today View for a long time. Um, why not just have them as widgets if you don't want to make them as full apps? It's like, Bur- there's so many just things they could have done. Bearing in mind, his response wasn't, we can't make the app. His response was, and I paraphrase, I paraphrase here at Apple, we, we always want to make the best app, the most innovative app, or you know, something to that effect. And we just haven't found the way to make the best app yet. We, we just haven't realized it. Which is a bit of a wishy-washy BS response, I think. But in another way, they're aware of it. So yeah, it is, it is strange. And it is very Apple. I agree. I think, just kind of to move on to the iPad slightly, um, the iPad was probably one of the only letdowns, I think, of WW this year. Um, a lot of us came into it thinking that we'd get this major overhaul or, or, or some kind of big change. Um, we all referenced the recent release of the Magic Trackpad and, uh, or Magic Keyboard um, and thought that Apple were going to kind of completely revamp iPadOS. But in reality, it gets much the same updates as iOS. Um, you can't drag widgets out. Obviously, on the iPad, you can swipe across and you can kind of permanently have the today view open on the left mm. uh, but on the ipad you can't drag widgets out onto the um out onto your home screen anywhere 
Um, you get Scribble. Scribble's pretty cool. Um, so it brings Apple Pencil handwriting support to everywhere, basically. Um, I, I think anywhere that would traditionally bring up a keyboard, um, search input field, I guess email, wherever, you can now just use the Apple Pencil handwriting and it will convert it for you. Um, they did a bunch of cool features when it came to handwriting, actually. Um, so I believe you can now, when you write something, um, you can now select it like text. I, I assume it uses OCR and it knows individual letters. Um, so you can highlight as text, you can copy and, and kind of paste and move things around um, using the text selector. Um, you can make space for things in notes, which looks pretty cool. So if you've written a, like a drawn or whatever, you know, a whole big page and you go, Actually, I need to move all this stuff down just to insert something here. You can kind of just add a line and move it down, um, which, which seems kind of cool. Um, like I say, not the world's biggest update. Um, Siri gets the same. It just sits in the corner now as opposed to taking over the whole interface. Um, it'll be an interesting one. Maybe something's coming with the new iPad. I don't know. But iPadOS has definitely held the least amount of um, screen time. And I definitely came out the other side of it kind of wishing for more, although I'm actually really glad because I think Mac OS got like 50% of keynote time, which is like unheard of. Their tendency to stray away. So yeah, they give it a bit of time, but for the iPad, again, I, I think it's the same thing that they're waiting for the next iteration. They, they like to, to drag it out as much as they can. Yeah, maybe, maybe next year. As we always maybe, say with the Apple maybe. stuff, maybe next year. Or maybe not. Mac OS Big Sur, which we, we, we spoke about this last week, if not the week before, and we said about support and compatibility. And it's not compatible with either of our iMacs. Great. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was also like bullish in, yeah, it'll be totally supported. Yeah. And then it wasn't. I, I don't get it. I, okay, there's there's some explainable reasons and justifiable reasons, but I don't think they're quite excusable. I, I, I still think they could have. And I it's think not it's, so much... It, it, they could have. They just chose I not to. I don't know means, if they could, to be fair. Really? I, I'm pretty sure it's down to some kind of, of native metal support or something, and I just don't think the graphics chips we have Bearing in mind, I, I don't know what yours has got, but mine's got an NVIDIA chip in. Apple haven't supported NVIDIA in like 154 years. Um, well, that long. So I am kind of making excuses for Apple, won't I? But, I, I um, think someone, will, someone will come out with a patcher. Um, I, I've seen people have already got it running on your iMac. Um, it's the same thing every, every time Apple drops support for certain things. Uh, or a certain machine, sorry. Someone comes up with something to uh, to get it working. But yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised to see the 12 and the 13 get lopped off. I know the 30, uh, 2013 MacBook Air is still supported. Exactly, um, and that's the point. And considering the cost of these machines, we spoke about it last week, you expect it to be supported for longer. That's, that's the difference. Clearly not, as the case is. So there's an updated design. It, there's no question about it. It's nice. It's clean. It's fresh. It's very Unix-based to me, obviously, as macOS is, but it, it reminds me of Ubuntu just a little bit more than what macOS Catalina does. Is that just me? I, I did see a lot of people refer to it as it looks like a half-baked uh, Linux distro, yeah. which is, I get 
That, I don't know if that's a compliment towards recent Linux distros or a knock against the new design. I actually really like the new design. It's nice, yeah, um, but it's just there are similarities. But they're off the same family, the, the Unix family. So that that's maybe, I don't know. I guess almost to be expected, but not really because uh, you can give it as a I separate mean, entity too. Unix and Linux are... Or uh, macOS and Linux are essentially completely different things. Oh, they share. are, but the infrastructure behind what I'm talking about, deep, deep, deep down, there are there are more connections between macOS and Linux than there are Windows and macOS or Windows and Linux, right? Yeah, I mean, fair enough. It's like saying there's the same connections between a helicopter and a plane, though. Um, they both they fly. both fly. They both fly. <laughs> there you go. But um, a lot of people, this design is super controversial. I mm. didn't realize how many people didn't actually like it. I dig it. I think it's a good change. Um, I can see why they actually, after what twenty years, they've kind of bumped the number up to uh, to eleven. Um, although, if you open, I can't remember if you open like System Report or something on on Big Sur, it like refers to itself as ten point sixteen as opposed to eleven point zero. So um, <laughs> I don't even think internally at Apple they're quite sure what version it is. Um, I know we talked about last week we expected a messages update. Um, we did, in fact, get a messages update. They've basically brought the iPad version, I think, across. So any iOS 14 features in messages, the Mac gets at the same time, um, which is something we were severely lacking mm. in time gone past. Yeah, um, ver- because- very strange, isn't it? Especially with the activity section of iMessage. So it, yeah, if, if there was a... A message being sent from the watch or from the activity section of the iPhone on iOS, it just didn't show up properly on the Mac, which was was pretty weird. A, pretty, pretty, a, a complete oversight, I think, and one that Apple should have fixed a lot sooner. I'm pretty sure it was just down to the fact that Mac, uh, messages on the Mac was a native app, I believe. Mm. Um, kind of derived from the old iChat app. Um, that's what it replaced. I think it just kind of evolved. Um, yeah. And as soon as something on the Mac was native, Ooh, the chances of Apple updating it were slim. Um, so unsurprisingly, I believe it's become a Catalyst app, um, and they're just porting the iOS version over. If I am being honest, I like the new design. I think it's fresh, but I, I think they've, went, uh, they've overcooked it, <laughs> for use of a better term. I don't like the... The rounded icons in the dock, I think they're too iOS-like. And I, I like familiarity, but maybe just not that much. I think that the ones prior had a bit more individuality and unique sort of con- set, set to them. I just I, th- I think what they've done is, is lazy. And I don't understand it because they already had a, a perfectly good set of, of icons. It also means that other apps on the Mac that aren't uh, Apple or native that, that, that are third party will either have to follow that or you'll have a very different weird sort of set of icons in the dock. I also don't like the roundedness that it seems to have. Again, it's just very uh, childlike almost. That, that there, are, there are things I really like about it and there are things that I'm just not overly keen about. This is all, all stuff that people have to remember that when macOS went through, you know, when macOS 10 existed, like people complained. When we went from Aqua, kind of in the Snow Leopard days, and then we kind of made that transition to Mavericks, people complained. Like, we're making a transition again, people are complaining. Like, design is subjective, 
um, it'll, give it a week and you'll just you won't notice it or won't care. Oh like, yeah, it is. But I just Pete, don't get why they've used the icon set from iOS on macOS. They're they're two different things and and very different. And it almost feels like what they what they tried to do was Apple have from 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 releasing the iPad have on numerous occasions changed their approach it went from and we said this last week it went from oh you don't need a stylus use your finger to oh you use a stylus and this could be a creation device it's not a laptop because it has its own separate operating system and you can do so much with the ipad pro because it, it does everything and now what what it looks like is they're almost changing the mac interface to be more touch friendly i just don't get it we don't need big buttons for do not disturb and and disproportionate sized buttons and I I don't know. There's just it just doesn't look as click and touch and mouse and keyboard friendly as what it was before. It looks more like an operating system that you would expect on a big tablet vis-a-vis the iPad Pro. I think one thing I would say is let's wait to judge its final form until it actually gets released. Obviously, we're judging everything on a few screenshots and a beta of which Apple have made very clear can and will change. Um, there are some crimes against design in Big Sur, most notably the notification bell in system preferences and the battery icon in system preferences. I don't know if you've seen them. They are absolutely look like they were designed in five minutes mm-hmm. by a developer. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who had never seen a design package before looks like they've made them. Mm. Um, and they just don't fit with the rest of the stuff in system preferences. Like It's just so odd. I'm assuming kind of with my fingers crossed, that stuff like that will change over the beta period. Um, we know in the past that Apple have, like, beta 1 rolls around very soon, and then beta 2 can actually be quite a significant change. Um, from, from what I understand, beta 1 will get frozen quite some time ago, um, and beta 2 will have all the kind of since then, so it could have like six weeks of changes in it. Um, I... I'm with you. I think some of the icons look a bit... I want to say naff, like... No, they do. If if you're going to take the iOS icons, at least take the iOS icons. Like, things like the messages and the mail and whatnot. It's like this weird drop shadow. I don't get that. Mm. Um, I don't have a problem with them, like, because the messages icon on the Mac is blue. The messages icon on the iPhone is green. I can understand how, if you're trying to create an ecosystem, a little bit confusing for new people. Mm. Um... Disagree. Um, yeah. For new people. If you've used I, a Mac I, before, you know the iChat yeah, icon but, was blue. But the for two years. aren't aren't the same. Again, it's like flying a helicopter or a plane. They're not the same. And the the, the and, and Steve Jobs is perfectly quoted as saying, not everyone needs a truck, i.e. a Mac. Some people just need a car, i.e. an iPad. The two are different and they do different things. And and and, and again, it's this is opinion, but going off comments here, one, the iOS icons and macOS are kind of yucky, yes. Someone said iPad OS Pro. Mm, seems like it. Uh, someone said horrible flat iOS look. They're not even trying at this point. iPad OS Pro. I don't know if I like Mac OS looking more and more like iPad OS. Uh, someone else says this trend to waste more and more screen area in the UI is really getting on my nerves. Do they just want to sell bigger screens? It's maddening. I actually have to agree. And this the- is coming from a website which probably pr- preliminarily has Apple fans. Interesting. Yes, it also has Apple's biggest uh, critics. Mm. Um, These are all people who will upgrade to Big Sur and then completely forget about all of this in a week because welcome to literally 
every iOS and macOS upgrade ever. Like, you know, when iOS 7 came out, all the same comments were said. It is. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. But then hold on. I'm just looking at So, In front of me on, on Catalina, I see keynotes and numbers in the dock. Okay. In my yeah. dock. And I'm literally just looking at the photo of the MacBook Pro, which has the dock and it has keynotes and numbers in it. And it's went from a lovely, clean, crisp icon, which um, is a vector and has a transparent background, to one that literally has a white background on a square. It, it, it genuinely looks like an older version of that icon that someone with less experience has created. It doesn't look nice. It does not actually appeal to my eyes. Now, maybe that's just, again, it's, design is, as you say, subjective and it's personal opinion, but I just don't think it... it hmm. My absolute favourite thing about all this is, you know Apple have got something right when people are hung up on the background colour of an icon. It's like, no, it puts no, kind of win- no, no, Windows no, no, problems I, I, into mm. into like a comparison, doesn't it? No. It's like well, Windows has all these issues that people complain about, and like Apple people are like, yeah, I don't like the rounded corners. Well, <laughs> it, it's it, but it's a pretty big thing because it's not just the corners; it's the size of the icons, it's the real estate they're taking up in areas, it's certain colors they've used in areas. They they are trying to make it like iPad OS in my eyes, and I don't like it. I I just don't. And I yeah, you could say. They've done something right when people are complaining about the icon colors, but they could have done something more right by just leaving the the things alone in some respects. They don't. I think they've changed it for the sake of changing it. No, do you? I, I get the unification. They're trying to make it more one ecosystem and so on and so forth. But you can only have so much of an ecosystem when they're two different products. No. Well, aside from the arm, um, I uh, I like it. I don't really care what um what the naysayers say um i've been through so many of these transitions where the honestly these comments are nothing new like when when they went from the shiny dock to the flat dock that we've got now everyone said the same thing that it looks stupid and no one can even remember what the old one looked like like it's the same stupid stuff that gets (laughs) said every time like you know this stuff will get refined over the next few years it's like whatever it's like move on Um, it's like of all these amazing changes they made and, you know, the, the huge advancements they made with architecture and Catalyst, it's like people are complaining about some border radius and icon set. It's like, let's get over ourselves a bit. But, and, but like, it just feels, and maybe to not, not to get the final word, Aaron, but just to, 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 to round up my views, it feels almost, you make a good point, they made so many infrastructural changes that they didn't have the time to really spend on the... UI and UX side of it, and so felt they had to do something, and probably did the wrong thing, maybe, and maybe not. If you like it, fair enough. If if other people like it, fair enough. It's again, it's my, subjective, but but my, more more to the point, to compare Catalina to Big Sur, you in particular, I, I not so much, but I am aware <laughs> the number of times Catalina has either crashed or just completely lost it under not even stressful use they had to do something with the infrastructure and i hope that in the background it's seemingly so but i hope that they've you know that they've patched their issues they've fixed their problems rather than just changing the ux the actual you know functionality and core of of the software has, has been upgraded just kind of to, to i guess move on to 
talking about the the switch to Apple Silicon, just on that note, we were all kind of coming into this, and I know we talked about it last week. We were kind of hoping that macOS was just going to get some basic fixes, like, and the year where we all wanted just a stability release, Apple like, yeah, so we redesigned it. Yeah. It's like, okay, not exactly what we were after, but fine. I mean, yeah, just to on your point, it's like we were on Hangouts last night, and my Mac just it decided to kernel panic halfway through. I have no idea why. <laughs> um, it's done that a few times. It does only seem to be in certain situations, i.e. Chrome. Whenever Chrome is, I only use Chrome for Hangouts. It just seems to happen whenever I'm on Hangouts. It never does that otherwise. It restarts itself so it crashes in its sleep a lot. Mm. About twice a month, it will just crash in its sleep and reboot itself. That's very common. Um, but the kernel panicking while I'm using it only seems to be related to Chrome, I think. Uh, it's the only kind of factor I can continue. But yeah, other than that, Kathleen is a dumpster fire. And I think everyone's kind of universal opinion is Catalina as a dumpster fire. iOS 13 was a dumpster fire when it came out. It did gradually improve over time. WatchOS 6 has a number of issues that I think certain people are experiencing. You kind of get lucky with, Mac, with Apple stuff. Apple will release an OS, whether it be iOS, watchOS, macOS, whatever. And you either are a lucky person that experiences no issues, your battery is great, you know, everything is fine. Or you are an unlucky person and everything crashes all the time. Your battery lasts about 30 seconds. <laughs> um, you know, that, like I said, it's one of the WatchOS 6 issues. You know, seeing people that are having like, not just like the batteries lasting a little bit less, like people having their battery drain in like an hour. Like it's, just, you know, it's, it's an issue. Um, so I do have a little bit of a worry from that. Not that me or you will be able to experience these issues. So we're just stuck <laughs> with the... Uh, trash can that is Catalina, which is kind of annoying. Um, but to move on to the, the biggest, I think, talking point of the entire event is, as we spoke about last week, the transition, and we said they wouldn't use the word ARM, and they didn't use the word ARM, to, uh, to Apple Silicon. Um, it's finally official. They've finally said it. They've used those words. They're doing a transition period, much like they did from Motorola to PowerPC and PowerPC to Intel. They, it, they're giving it a two-year window, I assume starting now. Um, the biggest kind of takeaway is developer kits are shipping now. I assume they're going to start arriving in people's hands this week. Um, it's a Mac Mini running the iPad processor. Um, Apple have made it very clear that is not a shipping product. Um, it was the same when they transitioned to Intel. If you remember, it was a Mac Pro. Assume it was actually a Power Mac G5 body at the time, um, with an Intel Pentium 4 chip in it. Apple never shipped with Intel Pentium processors, so don't take performance or anything. I think it's all under NDA, so you, we won't know anything about it. Um, developers who are getting them, I assume, are basically told to keep quiet, mm. which is fair enough. It's not a shipping product. Apple don't want any, you know, benchmarks or anything coming out. Um, but we're going to get, or they've promised, the first ARM-based Mac is going to ship before the end of this year, which is pretty impressive. Um, they've also said that they've still got Intel Macs to come out. So they haven't, like, stopped Intel at June 2020 and nothing will happen. We can assume that 
higher-end products, probably such as the, the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro, will continue to get Intel for a little while. Um, I don't see them making the switch to ARM immediately. Um, the interesting thing is when they do make the switch to ARM, they have already rewritten Final Cut logic. Um, they've already got Adobe and Microsoft on board to get everything ARM ready. So it sounds like that's going to be a pretty seamless transition for a lot of people. Um, I guess Intel's going to stick around for longer than PowerPC did. When Apple went from PowerPC to Intel, the kind of software transition period was about, I think it was like a two-year transition to Intel, or a year or two to Intel. And then they gave another two years of support, I think, for PowerPC. Um, that was back 15 years ago or 14 years ago when the, the Mac OS share of the uh, market was a lot less. Um, it wasn't really until the uh, Intel machines that the Mac kind of blew up. Um, so I imagine Intel support is going to live. It's going to be at least four years. I would hazard a guess it's going to be like six or eight years um, when it comes to support in Mac OS and software, hopefully. It sounds like Apple have kind of figured out a way of when you compile your app in Xcode, um, it will compile for both Intel and ARM instruction sets. So I don't think there's going to be, I don't think developers are going to have to do anything particularly special. Actually, I don't think they have to do anything at all. I get the impression from Apple, it will just work. Um, the big thing that will stop working is Apple will not be shipping bootcamp anymore. Mm. Um, you will not be able to run Windows on these machines for obvious reasons. Bearing in mind, Microsoft do make an ARM version of Windows because um, they, they make a Raspberry Pi version of Windows 10, which is an ARM chip. So I won't be surprised if Microsoft figures something out. Um, they did, virtualization did get stage time, which was very interesting. Um, they showed running uh, Docker and Linux stuff will all be native um, within the Mac. So that's not going to be a problem. Um, Apple still clearly understand that Macs are developer machines. They are heavy workhorses, um, even with the uh, you know Fisher Price icons that they now have. Um, it's still a mouse and keyboard developer, creative, whatever you want to call it, machine. It's not a touch interface yet. Um, I'm really excited to see what the first generation of ARM Macs or Apple Silicon, sorry, Macs can do. Um, if you get an ARM Mac, we're always going to call it an ARM Mac, even though Apple call it Apple Silicon. If you get an ARM Mac, you'll be able to run any iOS app, which is super interesting. Developers will have the option when they push an update to say, make this not available on Mac OS. Um, so it's not like developers are going to be strong armed into their iOS app appearing on the Mac, but. That's really interesting, I think. Um, they showed off a few apps and how it's like basically native that you'll never notice a difference. Mm. Um, developers might have to do some tweaking. Obviously, if they're heavily reliant on, on touch interface and touch controls, then maybe that's not something they want. But Oh, that's in fine some of the with sesh- macOS, sir. It's a, it's a touch fast anyway, Aaron. It, you just touch everything. <laughs> Touché. But um, in some of the sessions throughout the week, they actually showed things like mouse support in games um, on things like the iPad, so I assume stuff like that, like uh, mouse for um, like uh, moving the camera around and whatnot. Um, obviously, you've already got like Xbox and PlayStation controller support for both. 
Um, so I assume it's... I mean, Apple say it's not going to be a big deal for developers. Obviously, take everything with a pinch of salt um, because every developer writes things differently. It really does sound like Apple are still... I think Craig talked... I can't remember if it was the MKBHD or the, John, or the talk show. Um, they're not trying to get everyone to switch over to writing like Catalyst apps. If you have a heavy Swift UI or app kit or um, Objective-C app, it's like stay with that. It's not worth rewriting it yet. They're giving everyone the tools to do whatever they need to maintain the code bases that they have. Um, obviously, there will be certain new features that you probably can't take advantage of, um, but Apple are not sidelining kind of any old way of doing things just yet. Watch OS 7, enhanced face customizations, hand washing detection, um, sleep tracking feature is quite, quite, quite significant as well. And of course, the first bit has been released to developers. It's only compatible with Watch Series 3 and later. That rules out ours, doesn't it, Aaron? No, we are Series 3. Oh, never mind. Okay, I lost track. Um, tell I'm so really the, into the watch. <clears throat> the the one and two are basically the ones that got dropped this time around. The zero got dropped uh, dropped last time or the time before. Mm. Um, hardly a surprise. The three is such a huge step up from the others. So I don't. I remember. Yeah, actually, Frame, you've you've had two generations, haven't you? Yes, I've had the zero, which is yeah, quite possibly the slowest thing on planet Earth. Yeah, because I remember you 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 griped and moaned and groaned for so long about that, and which but fair. Fair, fair enough at the time. But um, one, one interesting thing, and a, a lot of people have said this, the sleep tracking thing is really interesting. Apple kind of hovered around the whole when you're meant to charge it thing. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> I, I think it's a, maybe it's a big indication that the watch that comes out this year will have a multi-day battery life. Mm. I can only imagine that they would add native sleep tracking if they're going to fix the you have to charge it once a day, which kind of makes sleep tracking a bit of a pain problem. Just plug your arm in, no? Well, yeah. We can somehow not use the heart rate thing. It's fine. <laughs> Touche. I hadn't thought that one through. <laughs> TVOS 14 uh, brings Apple TV support for AirPods, audio sharing, and watching YouTube videos in 4K. Nothing major, but some interesting updates. In the AirPods, we're getting automatic switching between Apple devices, a theater-like spatial audio coming to the AirPods Pro. Does that make you like them anymore, Aaron? Does that make you want to use your AirPods Pro that you've had nothing but great things to say about recently? <laughs> First, I need to get them fixed, still. <laughs> um, the spatial audio stuff, it sounds actually really interesting just from a techno- technological point of view. Um, it's basically to create like a, like a full 3D soundstage Mm. around your head let's say but um i think that must mean or i assume that must mean that the airpods pro must have a gyroscope in them Mm. which is actually kind of interesting um up until this point never would have thought about putting a gyroscope in some uh, wireless headphones um so this is clearly something apple have been planning for a little while Um, i get the impression the airpods pro are a lot more powerful and capable than Apple often let on. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that U1 chip has a few more tricks up its sleeve, um, such as, I, again, I assume it has a gyroscope, unless Apple are doing something extremely clever with the, 
with working out which way you're facing. Um, the automatic switching sounds like a great idea in principle, but I can't help imagine, unless Apple have come up with the typically Apple clever way of doing it, that that might be a pain. Like, yeah. what happens if I have my AirPods connected to my Apple TV and I'm watching TV, but then I pick up my iPhone to <laughs> read an email? Like, is yeah. it intelligent enough to know where the video is playing, or how does that work? Like, well, it says one, that if you one finish th- a phone call on your iPhone and pick up your iPad to watch a movie, the AirPods or Beats will automatically switch over. So yeah, maybe it is. I I don't know, but does it give priority to video over other things? But then it gives priority to phone call over everything. Or it's it's strange. It, yeah, it, it it's one of those things that if it if it works, brilliant. That will be very good. If it doesn't, it will be a major colossal pain in the backside. The phone call is actually a really that's actually I didn't think of that. That's actually a really good idea. Like if you have your AirPods in, I assume no matter what device you click answer on or decline, but answer, um, <laughs> it it will automatically switch the AirPods to that device. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of AirPods, just to round us off, you've had a love hate relationship with them for the last couple of months. Because numerous ones of of biggest pile of junk. Well, they're they're no they, the pros. No, they the normal ones are amazing. You wait. I I haven't had the issue yet. If and when I experience it, I will be saying the exact same thing. But I'll I'll defend them for now. Um, it takes a but, while for it to appear. It takes a while, and then well, they but, apparently but we don't stop breaking. Stars around the same time. That's. That's the thing. I Don't mean, we? again, like this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Apple is a thing where you're either lucky or well, you're not. Yeah. Like, so, so, so many people have issues with the pros. Like, it's unreal. Bringing um, you on but to there that are... point. Oh, I've started him. No, I start. Aaron, it's okay. Relax. It's fine. Sorry. I'll let you go. I'll let you, I'll let you carry on. Um, the other night when I was using them, I, I the left one was in. I put the right, right in. And I just heard this crackling. This really weird noise and what's that so i put it on the noise cancellation it was still there sort of a it's almost as if there was a a little person inside just crackling a a wrapper you know okay so i changed the transparency and play pause stop took it out put it back in still there oh dear please don't tell me i'm not going to have the same issues that iron's been talking about so that he can say told you so so (laughs) took took them out put both in the case took them out again put them in Perfect again. No issue. Strange. I don't know what it was. That's how it starts. That's how mine started. Oh, no. It was an occasional issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't know if something gets dislodged or, uh, or or however it works and just like giving them a jolt, whether it be putting them in the case or something, tends to move stuff around. It might never come back. That might have just been a one-off thing, but that's exactly how mine started. It was like, it would happen once and then I wouldn't hear it for two weeks and then it would happen again. And I wouldn't hear it for two days, and then it didn't go away. Well, rest assured, if it does develop as a persistent or consistent or repetitive problem, Apple will be being made aware of it, because the price of the product does not justify the time for which they have lasted and this is developed, and even more so in your case. And I, I'm, I'm joking about your gripe. It's not acceptable for a product of that price and, quote, a pro product to not deliver I would say the same, but a better, it should be a better experience than the, quote, non-pro product. And even at that, even if there is no pro or no non-pro, even even at that, the price of the product you've paid, not acceptable for any fault like that to develop. And I think Apple maybe have an issue in their hands there, potentially. Well, they do in terms of hardware. 
See, they've released I mean, that- the, the, the firmware update for the AirPods. Potentially, could that fix anything? I don't know. Because you never find out whether it's hardware or software, did you? Or, no, well, they, re- they re- physically replaced the... So the, the, the left one did the clicking, and that was a hardware issue. Right. Um, and then the right one did, like, a weird muffled, sounded like something had become dislodged and was freaking something out. I don't know what it was. It was also a hardware issue, but a different hardware issue. Both replaced, like, they were a month or two months apart from each other. Um, and then it was all fine for, like, a month, and now the right one is doing a similar issue again. Like, they work, they don't, they work fine, but, like, the right one, when you move, something really weird happens. Mm. Like, it's hard to explain. Like, it's not right. It makes, it makes you feel weird. Um, it, I don't think, it's been so long since I put them in my ears. I don't think it does it when they're off. I can't remember. Um, the, the left one you, they used to click obviously did it whatever because it was something dislodged so no matter what you turned the setting you turned it on it would do it. The right one's always been a bit finicky but it freaks noise cancelling out massively and it makes you feel slightly disorientated because the right ear like, is just freaking out on you. Um, and basically I put them in the case and they've sat there in the case for like a month. Um, I was so annoyed with them. Um, I do need to talk to Apple about it, but it's just, you know, one of those things where you've, I've just dealt with it twice already on separate occasions. I'm going to have to go for a third time. I mean, obviously, you can't go to the store at the moment mm. without pre... Like, I, I tried to book an appointment for my iPhone this week. I talked to the chat representative who... It's a very odd conversation, but um, instead of traditionally be like, okay, you know, they'll send you a link, you can pick a time in a store and just, you know, you do all online. Whereas now it's like, she sent me a link, I looked at it, and it's just like all stores are just nothing for obvious reasons. I'm like, okay, there's nothing here. And she's like, oh, yeah, you need to phone the store up. It's like, oh, why don't you just tell me that? <laughs> Instead of just sending me the link, but it's like, so I've got to phone the store up, book a time slot. It's just like, oh, this is so much effort. <laughs> yeah, but definitely do, though. Don't, it, it, too much, too expensive. Well, that's for the to phone. Just... Then I need to get the AirPods fixed. Driving me up the wall at the moment. Yeah, they say things things happen in threes, right? <laughs> and I'll say that. Well, I mean, the iMac not getting updated. Can we count that as a third? Uh, possibly. All in all, with WWDC 2020, some some significant updates, some unexpected updates, and, and of course, something that we did expect. Uh, and and I think it was a, a half down the middle event in terms of half of what it delivered, and what we thought it was, and what it didn't, and what we didn't think they were going to. But also half in the fact that. Half the people are happy, half the people aren't, and and we'll live to tell another tale with Apple. It, it's just the same thing, as you said, Aaron, earlier in the show. You'll always get people who, who like the updates and people who don't, and somewhere in between. That brings us to the end of episode 510. As I said at the start of the show, next week with a great lineup already. It's not Apple-centric. You may or may not be pleased to know. So please do join us then. July 4th will be Independence Day for our friends across the pond in the United States. Until then, you can find more episodes on over at munchtech.tv. You can subscribe to our newsletter, munchtech.tv forward slash newsletter for the ultimate guide to podcasting. munchtech.tv forward slash ultimate podcast guide and podcastassist.com. Both are resources to set up your very own podcast like we do here. 
And of course, we talked about Apple throughout the whole of this show, pretty much, for our interview with the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak. That is munchtech.tv forward slash was. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Next week, uh, the first show of July, July 4th, same time, same place. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.